Satan is real, demons are real, and they rule the realm of darkness in the world today. Jesus called the devil the prince of this world. Paul calls him the prince of the power of the air. And Christians are warned to put on the whole armor of God so they can withstand the wiles of the devil. Peter describes him as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. The devil and his army of demons are alive and well in our country, although most people are not aware of it. FX, a TV channel owned by Disney, has come out with an animated series called Little Demon, which is about Satan and the Antichrist. Satan clubs are being introduced into our public schools. Paganism is on the rise in our country. Of course, Satan's behind every criminal act, every destructive behavior, every ungodly law, every false religion, everything that's wrong in our society. He's still involved in the business of controlling people through drugs, sex, alcohol, demon possession, worldly attractions, and the lusts of our fallen nature. The devil is a formidable foe, but one we need not fear if we know the Lord Jesus as our Savior. Now, the Gospel of Mark has highlighted Christ's dominion over the realm of darkness. In the very first chapter, Christ uh, cast out an evil spirit from a man who disrupted a synagogue meeting. His casting out of demons is mentioned several times in the first three chapters of Mark. And now we have an in-depth story of a man who is possessed not by one unclean spirit, but by an army of them. In merciful compassion, Jesus delivers him from this miserable condition. The man, of course, is grateful and wants to follow Jesus, but the people of the country want to kick him out. Can you see the morning news headline back then? Cure causes catastrophe. Or perhaps demoniac delivered but pigs destroyed. Or maybe even local authorities kick out strange healer. Let's find out what the Lord wants to teach us from this passage today. Heavenly Father, we're again grateful today that the Lord Jesus has power over the realm of darkness and its leader and all of his henchmen. We're thankful, Lord, that we have these examples given to us, that the devil no longer holds us in his clutches, that we have power over him because we have your spirit through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to realize today that although the vast majority of people are not actually possessed by the devil, they are still in his clutches. They still are under his control. And they cannot escape that unless they turn to the Lord Jesus as their Savior. We realize, Lord, that his purpose and his will is to bring people down into hell. But Lord, we are thankful that Jesus came to prevent that from happening to those who turn to him. So, Lord, bless us as we study your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing I want you to note from this passage 
is in the first six verses here, and that's the miserable condition of this demoniac. Now, the setting is given to us in verse 1, so let's just consider that for a moment. And we find that this is a continuation of the story of Jesus and his disciples crossing the Lake of Galilee that we looked at last time. We don't know how long that storm lasted in the night. We don't know how long it took them to reach the opposite side. It seems that they went uh, uh, in a, in a southeast, uh, southeasterly course and came to more the bottom part of the lake on the other side. And it seems it was probably early morning the next day because, as we read, the demoniac sees them from a distance. And you couldn't really do that at night. Now, the region is called the country of the Gadarenes in verse 1. And other names are given to that uh, in the other Gospels. For instance, the Gerizines or the Gergarenes. Uh, these discrepancies are really kind of due to the names of towns in that region, such as Gadara and Gerasa. And uh, so the, the larger area goes by that name as well. But we believe that Jesus and his disciples probably landed in a small town or near a, a small town in that greater region called Cursa or Gersa. And the shore there is very level. You could bring a boat on easily. And then it slopes up along a hillside. And in the hillside are located uh, uh, some caves or caverns from limestone. So as soon as Jesus arrives at this place, we find that he's approached by a man in an obviously miserable uh, state of distress. And here we find out that those under the power of Satan are miserable creatures. Now, first of all, this man is possessed by an unclean spirit in verse 2. And he lives in an unclean place, a place where there are tombs for the dead. Now, that term unclean uh, refers to uh, evil spirits, demons, unclean um, spirits. These are all talking about the same type of unholy, vile creatures who serve Satan. And this poor man was controlled by many of them as the story moves on to tell us. He lives among the tombs, which were not like our modern day uh, cemeteries, where they're usually kept up and uh, very uh, nice, peaceful places. But back in that day, uh, much of the time, people would be buried in these areas that had a lot of limestone caves that dotted the hillside. So they would go in there, they'd carve out a little place, and you could put uh, a, a person's body in there and entomb the dead. They also uh, would afford a place to escape the weather if you actually cared to do that in that area. It was considered an unclean place by the Jews. If you came into contact with a dead body or you touched a, a, a crypt, uh, that would mean you were ceremonially unclean and you wouldn't be able to go to worship in the temple or a synagogue until you went through a process of cleansing. Um, people also considered such places the haunts of evil spirits, even as they do today. 
Now, this was the home of the demoniac, an outcast from society because he could not be sedated or controlled. So how would you like to have your home in such a place? He was also lawless and uncontrollable. In verse 3, it tells us that he dwelt in those tombs, but nobody could bind them, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. So in an attempt to control him, in a way they thought perhaps they could help him by doing this, uh, they would bind him even with chains and fetters on his feet, and yet he possessed this superhuman strength through the demons, and he broke whatever they tried to bind him with. Matthew informs us that he was so fierce in his demeanor that nobody could pass that way lest he fall on them and hurt them. Imagine having this kind of physical power, yet not being able to control it, not being able to use it for something helpful or good, we might put it in the, uh, uh, the context of, of uh, comic book heroes today, Batman and Superman and, and Spider-Man. Well, he couldn't do good deeds like these people. He'd be one of the bad guys because these powers are destructive in nature. So he was a fellow who, who couldn't be controlled. He couldn't be tamed. He couldn't be really a part of society come to verse 5, we find that he was also restless and self-destructive. Always, all the time, night and day, he's going around these tombs and he's uh, going up and down the mountain and he's crying out. That means literally he's shrieking out in his agony and in his misery and perhaps more in animal tones even than human tones and he's cutting themselves with these stones surely his body is is marked up and and uh maybe oozing with blood and sores because of his self-destructive nature well we certainly uh, have our sympathy for a person who would be going through life like that but in reality, does this not reflect the condition of the lost today when you think of it in spiritual terms? A person may not be under the direct power and influence of Satan. He may not be in them, possessing them, yet a person is exactly where Satan wants them to be. As this demoniac lived in the realm of the physically dead, well, a person without Christ is living in the realm of the spiritually dead. And you're bound up by your sin. And you don't really have the power to break the shackles of that sin. You may be thinking calling all the shots in your life. That you're the one who's in control. That you're making all the decisions that you think will make you happy. But nothing in this world can really satisfy your selfish cravings person like this is wandering through life, doing the best they can, but you're on a broad path, the Bible says, leads to self-destruction. It ends up in hell, and the only one who can deliver you is the Lord Jesus Christ, as he did this demoniac. <clears throat> John Calvin wrote, though we are not tortured by the devil, yet he holds us as his slaves. 
till the Son of, Ga- uh, Son of God delivers us from, his, from tyranny. Naked, torn, and disfigured, we wander about till he restores us to soundness of mind. So that's the condition, really, of people today who are lost. Maybe not as wild and obvious as this man was, but their spiritual condition is quite similar. Now let's take a look here, as the story goes on, uh, to a life-changing confrontation with Jesus in the next few verses. Now in verses 6 through 8, these demons come to Jesus in the person of this man. They have a spokesman. So when he speaks, it sounds like it's a one-to-one thing, but, but really he's speaking for all the demons that are inside this man. And we see here that when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. Now, it's unlikely that we're talking just about the man. Uh, We don't know how he would have even heard about Jesus or been able to physically recognize him. But we have found out that the demons always recognize who Jesus is in his reality. Not just a man, but more than a man. And so when he sees Jesus coming, he, he runs to him. We're not sure exactly if he might have been running to harm them all. But when Jesus is recognized, what happens? Well, he falls down prostrate before him. And this is the consistent response of demons when they come face to face with Jesus. Now, we must not think that the word worship here means to honor and glorify uh, uh, like we do the Lord Jesus Christ. The word means to bow down in recognition of a higher authority. Uh, The demons always recognize that Jesus is superior to them, and whenever they're confronted by him, they have to fall at his feet. They know who Jesus is, unlike many people that in that day had witnessed his miraculous powers, all the wonderful things that he was doing. And as he comes and falls down before Jesus, he begins to plea with him. Now in verse 8, we see that the Lord had already commanded the Spirit to come out. doesn't say here that the Lord said that and then tells what happens afterwards, but it informs us that Jesus has commanded the Spirit to come out. But before he does so, the Spirit begins to speak to the Lord Jesus to seek mercy. Now isn't that ironic? The demon who torments his host desires not to be tormented by Jesus. The one who speaks for the many demons then wants Jesus to let them go on their their filthy business. And the question he asks here is in verse 7. Now again, he cried out with this loud voice. And uh, this is again the demon speaking, not the man. And he says, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high? And that suggests a tone of hostility. Uh, There's antagonism between the evil spirit 
and the Holy Son of God. The realm of darkness and the realm of holiness. The realm of God, the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of the world. So there's, there's this bad feeling, obviously, in the demon. And he knows that there's nothing in common between him and the Lord Jesus. There's no point of similarity. So there's nothing in common. And he's really saying here, leave us alone. Let us be. We have nothing to do with you. So let us be able to continue the way that we are. You leave us alone. We'll leave you alone. And then he uses an interesting title when he addresses the Lord Jesus. He says, Son of the Most High God. Now, the very first phrase that that, uh, Mark begins with says this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So again, the devils know who Jesus is. People in our world today who are supposed to be so smart and so intelligent They have no idea who the Lord Jesus is. They won't even recognize him uh, as a person in some cases. But the devils, the demons, those on the other side uh, in the spirit world, they always know who Jesus really is. He's the son of the most high God. Now that name is an Old Testament name. It's a name used by foreign kings or rulers, for the God of Israel. You remember the story where uh, Abraham meets Melchizedek in his return from battle, and Melchizedek was the priest of the Most High God. So we're talking about the real God, the only God, the God of the Old Testament, the God who is Israel's God, and uh, Jesus is the son of that God. In other words, the second person of the Trinity. And the devils recognize that. They always properly identify who Jesus is. <clears throat> now, from that point, uh, there is this request by the, the, the demon. I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Of course, he's speaking for them all. We have this conversation going on. He is the spokesman, the main demon, the one in charge, I would assume. And he doesn't want them to be tormented. So what does that mean? Well, it's apparent that the demons are also aware of a coming day of judgment where they will be consigned to the lake of fire. And Jesus coming at this time and them knowing his power that he's able to cast out demons that they're going to have to obey this uh, command that he gave to them do not want to be prematurely judged. And of course we know that that would be being cast in the lake of fire. So uh, this one who takes pleasure in tormenting another is seeking to avoid that in that imminent torture from God or torment from God and wants to delay it. It seems like it's premature. It's not supposed to be happening at this time. It's supposed to be sometime in the distant future. And so they don't want Jesus to do this to them now. They want him to wait. 
Well, from that point, the Lord Jesus begins to demonstrate his authority over these demonic creatures. And here we learn that this demon has a name. Jesus asks asks it of him in verse 8. What is your name? Now, in those days when um, magic was something prevalent, it was thought that if you could uh, get the person to say his name, you would have control over that person. And so uh, some people take it to mean that, but Jesus didn't need to know the name of a demon to overpower him and, and make him do what he wanted to. But he asks his name here, and the, the demon answers and says, My name is Legion, for we are many. So again, this poor man is not possessed by one single demonic being, but by many. And it's interesting that the word legion, which comes from the Latin, means thousands. If we go back into history, uh, the Roman army had legions. They had battalions, groups of men, and a legion at that time consisted of nearly 6,000 men. Now, we don't really need to take that number specifically as that many being in him. What it stands for is that this man had hundreds, maybe thousands of demons in him, and can you just imagine what that would be like? You would just have no control over yourself, and you might not even know uh, uh, how to think or be able to think on your own. So it's clear that there's an army of demons possessing this poor man. There's a battle going on for his soul. He is totally helpless. He can't do anything about the situation. Jesus against a battalion of demons. And again, as he says his name, he goes on to beg Jesus to plead with him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now we believe that from other portions of Scripture that there's there's certain demons who have control of certain geographical areas of the world. We don't know if that's what they were referring to here or simply they were having great success in this man in this particular region and maybe they could go possess some other people and stay in that area, that country, because these groups of, of spirits have this desire to possess, to control. And so he says, don't, don't cast us out of the country. It's interesting that in Luke's account, uh, the demon says, don't send us to the abyss, to the pit. And perhaps that's the, the idea here, sending them out from this geographical, physical location to that eternal location, the abyss where uh, the angels, some of them are now trapped until the final day. Don't send us there and confine us to that place where we cannot possess. And so again, the tormentor doesn't want to be tormented. He fears being consigned to that judgment that will lead to a final judgment and and he'll be tormented there because he can't do what he wants to do. 
Well, the Lord Jesus then goes on and he shows his authority over these demons by learning that name. And uh, he hears the, the begging requests. So the demons at that point turn their attention to this large herd of swine that was feeding nearby on the mountainside or the hillside. Very large group, 2,000. I mean, that's a lot. <clears throat> and normally we don't see them out on the hillside someplace, but I, I would imagine in other countries that's where you would find them. But here they desire, again, to possess material bodies, and that desire is so strong they ask Jesus to let them go into the herd of pigs. Now, Jesus grants their request by allowing them or permitting them to do this. They can't do anything really without his permission. He has power to send them anywhere he wants to. But we might wonder, since they did possess this herd of swine, and they did run violently down the steep place into the sea, and they all drowned, why Jesus would allow this to happen, why he'd allow this destruction on so many animals. Well, to a person who was a Jew, this would have been of little consequence because we know that they were unclean animals in the eyes of the Jew. Uh, God said that in the Old Testament law, and they weren't allowed to eat um, pigs. <clears throat> but to the herdsmen and the owners, this would have been a tremendous loss. The Jews, they were unclean, and unclean spirits were going into unclean beasts, and they were going to be destroyed, so what? But to the people of that region, well, this would have been a tremendous loss to their economy. Now, it's likely then that Jesus allowed this to happen in order to give a vivid picture of deliverance to the demonized man, to his disciples, to the herdsmen, and eventually this gets around to all the, the area of that uh, country. So there would be no doubt that many demons left this man, and that's why he was in such an uncontrolled condition. And uh, it's not Jesus, really. It's the demons who caused the swine to be destroyed. And he prevented them through this action from destroying a human being, which was far worse. The demons are bent on destruction no matter what they touch. And it also demonstrates Christ's power and authority over the spirit world. And as the people see this developing and they witness it, it causes great fear among them. So it continues to be the work of Satan in the world. He seeks to destroy people by keep, keeping them in their lost condition, and he's out to bring as many souls to hell as God is to bring them to heaven. Now that leads us to the last paragraph here. <clears throat> And we see that confrontation with Jesus has mixed consequences. And we want to first of all see the consequences to the people of that region as they see what happened here. Now verse 14, 
So those who fed this wine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. Now, imagine if you had been there. I would suppose there would have to be at least 20, maybe up to 100 men taking care of that herd of swine because there's so many of them. And all of a sudden, as they're just kind of milling around watching, uh, uh, the, the pigs just go wild. And they begin to stampede off the, uh, uh, perhaps there's a, a cliff there or a falling off place, and they all end up going into the sea and drowning. Just out of the middle of nowhere. Now, obviously, as they're witnessing this, they may have been aware of Jesus dealing with the man. And then they lose all these swine. Uh, how would you feel? Would you just be totally amazed? Would you do what they did? Probably. Uh, as, as they see all this happening, they run back to town. They tell everybody that, that they come into contact with what happened. And we can imagine the excitement as they, uh, uh, as they, uh, they, uh, they, they hear it uh, from these people. They come to where Jesus was to see what in the world's going on, much like we do to go see a fire or wonder what happened in the accident across the road. And this is a great thing that's happening, and they want to find out. Well, it says in verse uh, uh, 14, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. And then they came to Jesus and saw this person who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They hadn't been able to control this guy. He's just wild and, and crazy, and they just let him stay in that region and left him alone. And now he's calm, cool, collected. The herdsmen, in verse 16, uh, those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. So they made the connection somehow, probably hearing what was going on, and uh, they explain that what was in the man went into the swine, and now the swine are all gone, and everybody is just afraid now of this man, this Jesus, who has power to do this kind of thing. So they feared Jesus. They had more concern for the loss of the swine than the gain of a man's soul from demonic possession. So what do they do? They beg Jesus to leave. You know, what else might this person do? What else can, what other powers does he have? So they're afraid of what he's able to do, and he wants them out of there. <clears throat> they're blind to the spiritual side of this, the, the impact of what he had done to save this man and keep him from further destruction. And of course, the Lord Jesus will not stay where he's not wanted, so he and the disciples prepare to leave. But before they do, we see the demoniac coming to them. Another reaction, obvious consequence of what had happened. And now we see that he's a, a new man experiencing an entire change of life. And that's the consequence of his deliverance. Now verse 18 says, when he, Jesus, got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. Now the demons were begging for something entirely different. But he now begs the Lord, pleads with him, that he might be with him. 
So let's go through here and see the changes in this man. First of all, we see here that this new man experiences an entire change of life. Back in verse 15, the townspeople were awed because he's, he's sitting, he's clothed, he's in his right mind, he's totally different than what he was. And when Jesus delivers somebody from the realm of darkness, well, a great change is going to take place in that person's life. He's calm. Uh, previously, he'd been unsettled. He's roaming around all the time, restless, incapable of being still. Now his soul's at peace and rest through the act of Christ, and he can sit calmly. He's clothed. Luke informs us that the man had been naked. That was considered a shameful state. But now we see this man's covered from the shame of his nakedness. And he's collected. He's in his right mind. He's now controlled. Uh, he has control of his faculties. And there really isn't there a sense in which people without Christ are not in their right mind? If you really knew you were going to die and go to a place called hell, and you said, no, I don't care, or no, I reject that, are you really in your right mind? So they don't know what they're missing. And Satan keeps people in that dark frame of, of mind. And when Jesus enters a life through salvation, your eye, the eyes of your understanding are enlightened. You're delivered from darkness into his marvelous light. And that's what happens to this man. We see his changed condition right from the get-go. And then we read in verse 18, he also desires to be with Jesus. When the Lord changes your life, you desire to be with him. When deliverance from Satan's power comes, when regeneration occurs in your heart, a person wants to be with the Lord Jesus. That means he wants to be a follower, a disciple. He wants to learn all he can about him. And that should be the desire of everyone who comes to the Lord Jesus as their Savior. And then we find that this man also is obedient to Christ's commission. 19 and 20. Well, he asked that he might be with Jesus. He might be one of his disciples. He might go back with him. But Jesus said in verse 19, Jesus did not permit him. He didn't allow him. That wasn't his will. Rather, he says, go home to your friends. Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Now, isn't that the great commission? Really? This is a job that the Lord gave him to do. This would be the first impact upon Gentile uh, regions because Decapolis was under Gentile power and, control, and, and occupied by Gentiles far more than Jews. So he's supposed to go home to his family, his friends, share the good news of deliverance with them. He's a witness how the Lord has had compassion on him. And drove out the demons from his life. And we're told here in verse 20, he departed and began to proclaim. That's the same word used of Jesus proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. In Decapolis, all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. So again, that region, Decapolis, that means ten cities. That's referring to this region across the, uh, the, the, the Lake of Galilee. Um, there were ten cities that came under Roman control. 
And uh, this is the area that he goes to now, and he tells people what happened to him. People marvel at it. But interesting, uh, interesting, it doesn't say anybody believed it. But this is the, the, the first missionary journey, per, perhaps, of the gospel of the kingdom before the church is inaugurated. This man, who's been delivered from these um, demons, is able to tell them about Christ, what he did, his power over the realm of darkness and the devil. Well, let's draw some applications from this true story about Jesus casting out demons. First of all, it's a picture. It's a picture of salvation as a deliverance from the realm of darkness under Satan's control. Before we were saved, whether we realize it or not, we were shackled by sin. And unlike the demoniac, the shackles are not physical in nature. They are spiritual, and they cannot be broken by mankind. It's only the Lord Jesus who has the authority to free us from sin's power. He defeated Satan once and for all when he died on the cross and was raised from the dead, the stronghold of Satan. As Paul says in Colossians, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. So through Christ alone, we are delivered out of the realm of sin, death, hell, under Satan's control, and we're brought into the kingdom of God. Secondly, well, a believer cannot be possessed by demons. Satan uh, will surely use uh, his powers, though, to discourage you and to defeat you. He'll try to keep you from following Jesus like this man wanted to do. Um, uh, He'll fill your days uh, with so many things to do that you don't have any time to be with Jesus, and you can use that as an excuse. He'll try to draw your mind away from uh, the spiritual side of life and fill it with everything that you think is necessary in this life. He'll creep into your home and he'll cause you to neglect your personal and family devotions. He'll get you to concentrate on yourself rather than your spouse, your family, your church, your uh, relationship to Christ. And if your guard is not up, if you're not equipped with the armor that God gives you for spiritual warfare, he'll succeed every day. And in that sense, he's controlling you instead of the Spirit of God. And then we also find here that in Christ, we become new creatures. We're different. We're we're changed. So do we have the new character and concern of a person who's been delivered from sin and death and hell and the world and Satan? We were once controlled by sin and our selfish desires, our selfish nature, but now we're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. 
And we should be concerned about being with Jesus on a day-by-day basis, doing his will. And part of that is proclaiming to others how the Lord has had compassion on us and the great things he's done for us, breaking the power of sin in our life. So may God help us to think deeply and seriously about these things, these matters of change, that we're no longer under uh, a power uh, other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we should not be submitting to those powers that we have been freed from. Our Heavenly Father, we pray your blessing on your word today. We're thankful that the Lord Jesus has uh, power over everything that would harm us and destroy us. He has power over the devil itself and any uh, demon that would seek to do the devil's will in harming us. But Lord, help us to realize that although uh, we are not destined for hell, uh, the devil still wants to damage us. He wants to keep us from being close to you. And uh, there are times he's very successful in doing that. Help us to realize his wiles and his desires and put on the whole armor of God that we might stand against him. Help us, Lord, to uh, change in our behavior, even as this demoniac did. Help us to be trusting in you each day. Help us, Lord, to be considering our relationships with each other and be sure that they're what they ought to be. Help us, Lord, to uh, walk in your word and be with you each day. We know we can slip in that area very easily. And, Lord, help us to proclaim the truth of all the things that Christ has done for us personally as a family, and as a corporate body. So use these things in our life, Lord, again, to draw us closer to yourself. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. As we close this morning, uh, let's turn to hymn number 438. Onward Christian soldiers, and part of the uh, soldier part of that is following the Lord Jesus. So we're going to sing um, the second and third stanzas this morning as we close. At the sign of triumph, Satan's host doth flee. Let's stand together as we sing.
us, Lord, to be with Jesus this week and overcome the powers of Satan, we ask in his name. Amen. <coughs> Thank <laughs> you. 